everybody, and welcome to the Canem Rinse Podcast. This is Volume 12, Issue 590, and today we are going to be talking about Mario and Luigi Superstar Saga. Joining me, Leah Haydu, in Issue 590 are Chris Worthington. It's a me. It's a you. And Ryan Zhao. I was hoping to do that, like, Italian gibberish thing that repeats over and over <laughs> in this game, but I can't remember how it goes. I, I think he says, like, pizza and spaghetti a lot. Uh, <laughs> that was yeah, really yeah, exactly. good. <laughs> yes, that's pretty good. <laughs> Somebody can make a three-word review out of that. I would have been very impressed, but um, not entirely sure. Uh, so, Mario and Luigi Superstar Saga is celebrating its 20th anniversary this year, uh, which I I makes me feel super old. I don't know about y'all, but um, I, I can remember playing this... Uh, Way back when it came out originally on the Game Boy Advance, there is also a remake, uh, Mario and Luigi Superstar Saga plus Bowser's Minions, uh, that was released in 2017. And uh, we are not going to be focusing on that so much, but we will probably make reference to it. It's a pretty straight up remake, hmm. uh, aside from the uh, the additional content that was kind of tacked onto that. So uh, if you've played either one of those, then you'll probably uh, be able to follow along with us. So, Mario & Luigi Superstar Saga, what is it? It is a turn-based, timing-critical RPG with platforming, puzzle-solving, and plenty of interaction with the Bean Bean Kingdom, not the Mushroom Kingdom, not this time, and its residents. Uh, if you are a long-time listener, or even a relatively short-time listener, then you may have listened to our other related issues. We've done several on the Super Mario Brothers series, but the ones that are probably most relevant to this particular game are Super Mario RPG, which we covered in issue 407, and Paper Mario, which we covered in issue 430. I was on both of those. I had to look it up because I was pretty sure, <laughs> but, uh, you know, you, you do a lot of podcasts and sometimes they, they slip, <laughs> but, uh, but yes. If you are interested in those particular games, then, uh, yeah, go back and dig those up. So, uh, this was developed by Alpha Dream and published, of course, by Nintendo. The director is Yoshihiko Maikawa, who uh, also did various jobs, uh, not directing on any of these other games, but uh, various kind of roles that he filled. Uh, Final Fantasy 3 slash 6 for the Super Nintendo, Live Alive, Super Mario RPG, which we just talked about, and uh, this one's kind of left field, but Parasite Eve mm. actually was the battle programmer. So um, kind of a wide-ranging uh series of games that uh that this director has worked on um but you know kind of relative or uh good um connections to the game that we're talking about today especially through that Mario RPG kind of lineage producers were uh of course Shigeru Miyamoto, Tetsuo Mizuno and the executive producer Satoru Iwata uh, and the composer, I'm sure we'll get into this mm -hmm. uh, pretty heavily. I think we have some correspondence about a, about this as well. Uh, composer was uh, Yoko Shimomura, who is kind of a favorite around these parts, uh, having done many uh, of the the kind of favorite games that uh, a lot of us have uh, have brought to both the uh, dormant Sound of Play podcast and just kind of in general. Uh, she has done some. Fantastic words. Uh, Kingdom Hearts is, is one of my favorites. So <laughs> Whisper we'll, it. We'll Kingdom keep, Hearts. Keep talking yeah. about that. Yeah. <laughs> Take a drink. I worked Kingdom Hearts into this podcast <laughs> somehow. 
Um, the development of this game didn't find a ton about it. Uh, aside from that, it was intended as a follow-up to Super Mario RPG, again, which we uh, we can kind of make sense. We can see that. Uh, shares a lot of the same gameplay features that Super Mario RPG previously had uh, had displayed um and also uh this is a fun little tidbit so this game has uh some pretty funny writing uh, in my opinion it's intentionally funny writing not just terrible funny writing and to link in with the game's comedic themes this is via wikipedia nintendo organized an official competition between october and november 2003 <laughs> in which contestants would try and submit the best knock knock joke to win a game boy advance sp and a copy of the game Nintendo employed comedian Kathy Griffin to choose the winner. Um, I'd have no memory of this contest. Do, you, do either of you? Because I feel like I, I feel like that's something that if I did, even if I didn't enter it, which I might have tried because you know, I'm very funny. Um, I, I feel like I, I would at least remember something like Kathy Griffin choosing a, uh, a knock knock joke competition winner. Imagine getting oh, that call from your agent. It's like, we've got a promising <laughs> opportunity for you. You're going to be reading a bunch of knock-knock jokes submitted by children. <laughs> I wonder how they even publicized it. I, I'm not sure that they did very well. Uh, that's, I don't know. That, um, I, 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 my interest really is which Game Boy Advance SP was it? Because <laughs> this is around the era where it could have been the tribal tattoo one. <laughs> An interesting tidbit from the development, actually, um, looking into yeah. the developer Alpha Dream, they don't have that many credits to their name before no. Mario and Luigi series, uh, except for there's like a Pokemon style monster battler, it seems, on the Game Boy Color, and then more relevantly, a game called Tomato Adventure on mm. the Game Boy Advance. Um, I would say that it was called Tomato Adventure in Europe, but uh, that appears not to be mm -hmm. the case because it was, in fact, Japan only. Yeah. And if you actually yeah. look at the gameplay from Tomato Adventure, it uh, it looks remarkably like Mario and Luigi Superstar Saga, not in so yeah. much as like the Game Boy. It kind of has a similar-ish style, but like the sprite artwork is so similar that I wouldn't be surprised if they had like repurposed some characters from Tomato Adventure. Did. Okay, great, yeah, they, great. They, uh, and sounds as well, and and sound effects, and maybe even some of the kind of environmental yeah. work that they did is definitely assets were definitely reused. Yeah, I definitely see That's a lot of cool. kind of like reuse of the like similar color palettes and a lot of the uh, perspective on some of the side on dungeons and stuff. Um, so I, I think that this was. And apparently, Tomato Adventure wasn't even reviewed that well. It didn't no. release in. Uh, North America and Europe, because like usually there's some kind of a lot of the time it's because like in uh, Mother Three's case, it's like oh, there this game's a little adult, or there's some like racy issues in here that we don't know how to handle for the Western audience. But in this one, the explanation given on Wikipedia is that uh, it was too young for Western yeah. audiences. They're just like I don't know, let's just not bother with this one, and it just wasn't received <laughs> yeah. well. So mm. apparently, like it didn't really do the trick in its original form but it must have impressed somebody at nintendo because they mm. um they came on and it seems like they really kind of carried the same momentum forward into uh superstar saga mm. yeah mccall wasn't really cool. he yeah. wasn't super proud of it was he i read something a tidbit somewhere it wasn't a full interview with him but there was a quote from him saying he thought there were issues with the battle system 
which meant that they there was a lot of the gameplay which he just wanted to discard. Um, but like as you say, Ryan, there must have been somebody in Nintendo watching who thought, "Oh, there is the building blocks here of something really good." Mm-hmm. If you do take a look at the screenshots, yeah, the I mean, the art style in particular, like you guys were saying, it just it it very much has that kind of feel to mm. it. Just the it's very bright, it's very colorful. It um, you know the uh, the characters are not exactly exaggerated, but they are um, the just it's just that style and i i i'm we're gonna you know talk about it there's a real like uh, physicality to them like even though they are yeah kind of drawn sprites they feel very kind of like chunky they feel very squishy almost like coloring pages yeah or like little clay models or something like that yeah <laughs> very tangible yeah i i think that's a good way to put it just just going back to that comedy theme a second i mean co- comedy isn't really a recognized genre of video game we don't talk about comedy video video games like we talk about comedy movies or comedy tv shows but it's interesting that it, and what you said about it being deliberately funny Leah. i think this feels like it is deliberately funny and i feel like if there was a comedy genre of video game this would most definitely be in it because it feels like right from the very start, it sets its stall out as we are, and obviously humour is subjective, right? So it won't make everyone laugh all the time. But it feels like it was very much an objective to say, right, this is going to be funny from start to finish. I've done a bit and, of and writing I... on uh, comedy and video games in the past. And one of the things that I try to kind of distinguish in talking about comedic games is games that employ a comedic script versus games that employ comedic gameplay. Uh, Mm. And, you know, I think obviously, like, you can write funny dialogue into any style of game. Uh, There are some kind of inherent disadvantages of being in the video game medium because you don't have full control over pacing, which is really important in comedy. And you run the risk of repetition or a joke extending on too long because uh, because games are oftentimes longer than movies or individual TV show episodes. Um, but when it comes to like, I don't know, comedic, comedically scripted games, it's always impressive. Like uh, writing a good comedy script is difficult to do. Um, but I don't know. To me, it doesn't feel like that is like fully a comedy game unless it's somehow integrated into the mechanics as well. Like if you're going to be writing a comedy game, I think that it's more impressive to me anyways, when you're able to, um, to, 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 um, tell jokes and to kind of employ comedic premises in the actual, like unique medium that games can only, Mm. uh, that only games can, can speak. And so games like Octodad or Mount Your Friends, I think, are really uh, successful at making just like the interaction and the physicality of inhabiting the character and being in the space, like inherently funny and consistently funny. Uh, But uh, yeah, I I think this could, uh, this has a really good script, a really sharp and really funny, really inventive script, Uh, but um it could be just as easily adapted into like a Mario themed radio play or Mm. into a short run TV series or something like that. And so, you know, it's, it's always difficult to talk about comedy games in that way because there's so many kind of different approaches you can take to, uh, or so many different things that can be meant by that label. Mm. 
Yeah, I'm. I'm not sure. I'm not sure that I agree that it would be as effective as just a purely visual medium, because I, I, I mean, I think that it would still be effective. I'm just I think it would lose a lot. Uh, and what I'm thinking of is gags like something as simple as and this happens a lot towards the beginning of the game in particular, like if you are walking up as Mario and Luigi, two characters, and introducing yourself, and they go, oh, hey, it's Mario, you know, hey, Mario, show us that thing you do, and then, you know, you have mm. to hit the hit the correct button to make mm -hmm. him jump, and they're like, oh, and it's you, that other <laughs> green guy, green you know, and, and, you know, <laughs> Luigi does his little jump and then is sad. Uh, I mean, I, I don't know, I mean, it's something, it's something really simple, but I, I think that that I think they did a really good job integrating the gameplay with the script in that way. And and sometimes it is just like a cutscene where Fawful is spouting off uh, a bunch of uh, a bunch of dialogue that I think is really funny. I know that some people uh, it, it kind of bounces off mm. of, but um I still think he's funny. I to me I think that maybe one of the the difficulties that game developers and writers can face in getting a script that is really funny is it it almost feels like the audience for a game like this in particular isn't necessarily as targeted as if it were a film. So it, it feels like it can be a little bit tougher to have a script that is funny to everybody who would be playing this. Yeah. And I mean, I, I know it's not going to be funny to everybody, but to, to kind of the widest uh the, the widest audience possible. If you were just kind of looking at this game from the outside, you might think, oh, this is, you know, clearly this is directed towards kids. And sure, kids might play it, but not all of the jokes in the game are specifically geared at that kind of younger audience. So I, I think that it it's probably tough to, uh, to, to kind of nail that balance, which is why some games are just not, like, they might be trying to be funny, but they're really not. Um, I... I I, the older I get, the less I think Borderlands is funny. Um, yeah. But but you know, so it's it. Some games try and don't quite get there. Some games have a really great balance, and and it just seems like it. It's so difficult to kind of get that nailed nailed down. And uh, I think that Mario and Luigi really that the whole series really uh, has you know it's it's not. Not a hundred percent. I don't think anything is, but uh, but it's it's got a really good track record for me, at least. One yeah. odd comedic pattern. I played this and uh, Paper Mario and the Thousand Year Door back to back uh, because I was interested in going through some of these well-regarded Super Mario RPGs, and the introduction of Mario in this game is that Toad walks in on him while he's in the shower. Yeah, <laughs> and the. <laughs> introduction of princess peach and one of the events that catalyzes like a major series of events in that game is that she is spied on while in the shower and then <laughs> later in that game there's a massive plot point where she has to sneak around the base while naked <laughs> and it's yeah. very strange that like how do there, there's something in the air at this point in Nintendo's history <laughs> that just really wants to get these characters naked. <laughs> Satoru Iwata secretly really a pervert. Like he just is very into seeing Peach without her clothes on. Uh, whatever, dude. You do you. Um. So, um, the original game, the Game Boy Advance version, was released in November 2003. The 
Wii U Virtual Console version was not released until more than 10 years later, April 2014. So in between those times, really the only way that you could legitimately get a hold of uh, this game was via the Game Boy Advance cartridge. And then very recently, in fact, in February 2023, uh, there is a Nintendo Switch Online version uh, of the Game Boy Advance port, uh, or I guess it's not a port, uh, the Game Boy Advance version of Mario and Luigi Superstar Saga is now available that way if you have the subscription service. Uh, I personally played it. Uh, I, I have a cartridge, uh, but I played an emulated version this time around on my uh, analog pocket, which worked out super well, um, particularly because I did break down and use save states during the last boss a few times. Oh, um, yeah. We'll, we'll, We'll get there, but uh, I have completed the game on the original hardware, original cartridge, and also uh, I have played um, the 3DS remake. I don't know about you guys. This was released in October 2017, and uh, as I mentioned, it has a little extra content called Bowser's Minions that you can play along with as well, but it's it's a pretty pretty faithful remake from what I remember. I did not replay it for this podcast, but uh, have you have you guys played the uh, the 3DS version? I haven't played it, but it looks quite a bit uglier. Mm, yeah, I, if I had to choose one visually, I, I would go with the Game Boy Advance. Yeah, by a I long shot. Look better. Yeah, I, I agree with that. I, I think it's it's obviously a taste thing, isn't it? But it's interesting that all three of us think the same. I, but yeah, by some distance, I prefer, but I normally do with these things. But yeah, by some distance, I'm on this one. I prefer the original, the original artwork, although the. The 3DS version did have some nice quality of life additions, didn't it? Like small yes. things like when you're defending against attacks, and we'll get into this, and you 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 hold you hold the hammer. You can only hold the hammer in position ready for the attack for about two seconds before they'll drop it. Whereas this is just one example, whereas in the 3DS version, you can just hold the hammer indefinitely. Mm-hmm. So the game reviewed very well. Metacritic has it currently sitting at a 90 uh, Famitsu gave it a 93, IGN and GameSpot both gave it a 90. Uh, really, I found it difficult to find any negative reviews of this game, and I think that says a lot, even uh, with um, uh, sources that are not necessarily directly Nintendo-connected. I mean, Nintendo games do tend to review pretty well anyway, but uh, yeah, this one has consistently stayed quite high, and uh, I, I think it deserves it. Sales support that too. Uh, as of August 2020 in VG charts, the uh, sales numbers that they have it at are 2.15 million copies. That is only for the GBA version. Uh, I looked around a little bit for numbers on the 3DS version and I did not see it, but that also does not count any copies that were uh, downloaded onto the Wii U Virtual Console. And of course, the uh, the Switch version is its own thing, so uh, we're not we're never going to see numbers on that one. But uh, pretty good on sales and very good on reviews. So with that in mind, uh, I want to go ahead and get into our histories. Chris, this was your selection for this volume, is it that correct? Was my choice? Yes, this was my selection. Yeah, I've, so well, I have a. I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna let loose a, a, a um, revelation here, but but in terms of my history, so I played this game for the first time about two months ago, wow. and I can't. And I was thinking to myself, why have I not played this game? So I had a GBA back in the day. I got one on launch. I think I picked it up on launch day, 
I'm a massive RPG fan. I, I can get massive enjoyment from any genre, any video game. But really, RPGs and adventure games are my jam. That's what I like the most. I played the hell out of the likes of Golden Sun, um, Fire Emblem, anything else I could get my hands on that was RPG or RPG adjacent on the on the Game Boy Advance. But I didn't play Superstar Saga, and I didn't own it back in the day, despite being well aware of it. And I think the reason why is that so I so that was the first. I'm just trying to think what came first, the GBA or the GameCube in my life. I think it was probably just the GBA. That was the first Nintendo machine I ever owned. Uh, so growing up, I, 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 I mean, obviously aware of Mario as a cultural phenomenon, and I had friends who had NESs. But as you guys probably know, and as the listeners will know, it, in the UK particularly, it wasn't as big a deal as it was in the states. So it wasn't. The whole Mario zeitgeist, whilst there were people who were crazy Mario fans, especially moving into the uh, SNES era and the N64, I just wasn't one of them. I just didn't have those machines. So I didn't really have any fondness for Mario. I didn't pick up any of the Super Mario Advance games for the GBA. I played a couple of hours of Super Mario Sunshine on the GameCube and and, uh, Asterisk there. I absolutely adore that game now. But back in the day, I didn't really like it. I played it, I bounced off it, I didn't like it. And it was only when I first played Super Mario Galaxy, and that is my favourite game of all time. And that started my love affair of all things Super Mario. And from then on, I have always intended to go back and play Super Mario RPG, Paper Mario, and all of the Mario and Luigi games. So when it was my choice for my maiden choice for, for what to play for the volume, I chose this because I knew the way I am and I'm crazy for this, but I knew that would mean I would have to go and play Super Mario RPG and Paper Mario <laughs> as well because you have to do things in order, right? And yes, I, I did, <laughs> and I've played them, not quite back-to-back, I had little breaks, but I did play them all this year. I played this one on real hardware uh, using an F-Drive, and so without save states, and we will come to that final boss uh, with that imperfect GBA SP screen and that rather tinny little speaker, which again, you know, may have impacted on some of my thoughts on art and music. But yeah, so a, a, a storied history as to why I haven't really played it, but in terms of my history of playing it, yeah, very, very recent. Cool. Uh, Ryan, how about you? Have you uh, a, a longer history or are you also a recent convert i suppose (laughs) yeah not that much longer actually i i started this one over like christmas break uh when i was visiting my my parents down and uh down at their place for for last christmas um i i played this on the steam deck which is a wonderful way to play the game um (laughs) i think we might get into when we talk about controls there's a little bit of weirdness when it comes to the reversal of the a and b buttons uh, yes. When it comes to translating this from Nintendo placements to other, like every other company's placements, and um, it, that gets increasingly confusing as the series goes on onto the DS and 3DS that include four uh, face buttons that are all commanding separate characters and and uh, differently labeled across the screen and what is uh, what's on the pad. But regardless. Um, 
I, I played this over the course of uh, last Christmas, and I uh, I was surprised to see it bump right up onto the schedule. Like as I was finishing the game, uh, it was a nice little surprise there. Um, and this was the the first game that I beat in the new year. It, it kicked off my Twitter thread of uh, games that I've beaten in 2023. So it's it's always there mm-hmm. at the top, looking at me. <laughs> nice. Yeah, as I mentioned, I did play the game when it first came out uh, and completed it then, really enjoyed it. Uh, but I don't think that I really touched it in between much. I, I might have come back to it at some point, but I don't recall doing another full playthrough until I, I replayed it for the show. I did, uh, as I mentioned briefly before i did play that 3ds version when that came out a few years back but uh the original version i hadn't really come back to in, in earnest and i <laughs> an interesting uh mentioning about the uh, the buttons i also played it on emulation this time around i played it um uh, on the uh, the analog pocket the analog pocket does not have labels on its face buttons so but it is more set up i, I mean it's basically just a game boy in in construction more or less. So uh, I I didn't have that much of an issue with it, except when I wasn't like my brain kind of defaulted. I mean, mm-hmm. if you're if you are as as anyone who has a both a Nintendo console of any kind and a different console of any kind will probably be able to identify with uh, if you are playing a game on a Nintendo console at the same time as you are playing a game on any other console. <laughs> and you switch back and forth, sometimes your brain just doesn't want to make that switch. <laughs> and uh, yeah, I, I was playing other games at the same time. So um, my my it's not the fault of the buttons not being labeled the way that I want them to be labeled, because there are no labels. It's just I, I didn't quite, uh, my brain is not flexible enough anymore to really make that choice for me. <laughs> I had to kind of think about it a little <laughs> bit. But uh yeah, no, no real difficulties there, um, and it looks lovely uh, in an emulated version. Um, and again, as as we've mentioned, I'm sure we'll talk about that a little bit more as we go. And uh, yeah, that's that's kind of where I am with it. I, uh, I, my background is actually pretty similar to Chris's. I didn't have Nintendo. I, I had handheld Nintendo hardware uh, since the original Game Boy, but I didn't have consoles so until the GameCube. So I... Um, oh, no, that's not true. I had Nintendo 64 kind of well after the Nintendo 64 was a going concern. <laughs> but um, yeah, I... My greatest shame is that I have not finished Paper Mario Thousand Year Door because I got to the last boss and couldn't beat it, so I rage quit. And have never been back. So I'm kind of hoping that we get there on the schedule so it will force me to go back and actually complete that game. Um, But uh, yeah, other than that, I'm also an RPG fan. Also uh, have a little bit of history with Mario and Luigi, but not uh, excessively so. And more so in my adult life than I did when I was growing up. Mm. But um, we will uh, go into a bit more detail about that going forward. 
first, uh, I would like to issue a spoiler warning because there is plot to this game, and it's uh, actually kind of quite a bit of plot. It's mm. it's not even your standard Princess Peach is kidnapped by Bowser plot that they they play off of that, which is pretty cool. Yeah. Uh, so spoiler alert if you care about the plot for Mario and Luigi Superstar Saga, and um, I want to start off with a couple of pieces of correspondence from our forum. You can go to kanamrinse.com slash forum, where we have threads for all of the shows that we will be covering in volume 12. And once we have volume 13 uh, up and running, we will have uh, threads for those as well. And this is from Alex79 on the forum, who says, There's a lot to like about this game. It looks lovely, even by modern standards, I think. The humor is pitched just right, and the game mechanics, including the battles, are a lot of fun. I really enjoyed exploring the world, finding hidden secrets, and battling my way through the adventure, although I did find myself relying a little too much on the first bros move you unlock, the splash move, I think, and there is perhaps just a bit too much backtracking. It's a really enjoyable game, but my one criticism is that it does slightly overstay its welcome. I clocked the game at 19.5 hours, and I think that's about 5 hours too long. But then I suppose it's all relative. Bought full price, I'd have wanted to get my money's worth, but these days, with so many other games begging for my attention, I find I get impatient when things are taking longer than I'd like. But overall, this is definitely worth a look if you're interested in Mario and or RPGs. And Wu King Long, also from the forum, says, Mario and Luigi Superstar Saga was my first Mario RPG and remains my favorite, closely followed by the Thousand Year Door. I still remember receiving it on Christmas Day. It was almost certainly the same Christmas Day Kez86 wrote about. I did these a little bit out of order, so, you know, there's a couple of references that might be out of order. Anyway, it was almost certainly the same Christmas Day Kez86 wrote about, and I echo all of their sentiments. The game is not too long, but not too short, has great sprite work, visually is just one of the best the GBA has to offer. The gameplay is accessible, but has depth, and the writing is better than most RPGs in general. It hits a near-perfect balance in most things, and nostalgia aside, I believe it is an all-time classic RPG and Mario experience. So, let's get into what this game really is. So... Uh, we do have our standard Mario and Luigi, we have Princess Peach, we have Bowser, but then there's a whole bunch of these other characters that uh, we haven't seen before, and uh, I want to talk about those. So, um, what did you guys think of the setting of this being not in the uh, in the Mushroom Kingdom, but rather in the Bean Bean Kingdom? Yeah. Does it make a difference at all? <laughs> I wonder whether... So I was thinking about this, and you wonder whether they almost give themselves a little more creative license mm. by not setting it in the Mushroom Kingdom. Because uh, yeah, on the face of it, and I think we're gonna we're gonna talk about this. There isn't a huge amount of obvious difference between the residents of the Bean Bean Kingdom and the residents of the Mushroom Kingdom, as we as far as we know, as far as we've seen in the various media but i just want you just wonder whether in terms of whether it was a nintendo decision or whether it was an alpha dream decision that it almost kind of it almost kind of sets it aside from the canon by saying look well if you guys get this wrong and if you do things which upsets the apple cart you're not gonna we can just kind of leave it as an as a weird aside in some kingdom that we'll never revisit and then the mushroom kingdom's untouched well this is interesting because it kind of it, it feels like this being around like a similar time as uh, Paper Mario and the Thousand Year Door, uh, kind of famously after that game, there was a bit of a crackdown uh, that Nintendo imposed on yeah. the creative liberties that 
guess, external developers were able to take with the Mario franchise. And, uh, you know, Thousand Year Door had so many uh, wonderful kind of adaptations of toads in different outfits and Koopas and with all sorts of different looks and facial hair and all sorts of, you know, funny little uh, revisions on familiar favorites. And I have a feeling that, like, this game, when I played it in the modern age, it surprised me having lived through the uh, creatively fallow period of new Super Mario Bros, where everything feels uh, more corporately approved than mm. driven by passion. Mm. Like, I've seen Mario, not to speak of the quality of the games, because they're always of a certain quality, but I've seen Mario at his creative worst, in a way. Um games that feel like we can't upset the uh we can't upset the the trademark holder like this has to be as down mm. the line as possible and it was so refreshing to see um so many kind of creative liberties taken so many interesting little twists on the formula uh this does play pretty nicely with i'd say like super mario world i think had a lot of like food themed uh, names for its different worlds and and so there's you know some level mm. of like foodiness that ties a lot of the mario stuff together but um one of the things about the mario series that i've talked about on the super mario 64 podcast uh, in the past and actually kind of a criticism that i hold of that game in particular and like to a greater degree the entire series a very minor criticism it's not like even that negative but it's that compared to other games, I think about like Banjo-Kazooie or even like mm. Kirby, like Mario doesn't really have that strong of a unifying aesthetic. Um, I, I think that there's enough that has been kind of like retroactively uh, canonized in a way. Like if we think about like the new Super Mario Brothers series pulled from, you know, some very specific things that were going on from like Mario 1 through World, but it feels like in Super Mario 64 especially, they were really... Um, it, it, not every character, not every enemy, not every world in that game feels like it was designed for the same game. And I think that's both kind of like part of the... I don't know. Like, it, it can make Mario feel a little bit Mario as a world feel a little bit anonymous sometimes. Uh, it, mm. It's hard to feel like if I see a character in another game, I don't immediately think like, oh, that would that feels like a Mario character. That would work so great within the Mario world because there's not that kind of like strong central aesthetic. But it also gives them the freedom to be a little bit more like open-handed with, uh, with their theming, with their aesthetics. Uh, so, you know, it... it there's some like strengths and weaknesses to the approach. And I think in this case, it works as a strength. Like I, I like this um, fistful of dollars type of approach of like Mario and Luigi are just like these two dudes who just like roll into town and they observe the local problems. And you know, like Mario Odyssey, like really kind of plays on that aesthetic as well, where it's like these worlds are supposed to feel like fundamentally disconnected from one another they're supposed to feel like the the logic of the worlds themselves is different depending on you know what the theme of that world is and mario rolls in 
uh, buys some uh, some local costumes to <laughs> to blend in a little bit better, uh, and um, and and does his thing wherever he goes. He's he's kind of the the bit that anchors everything, all the randomness, all the craziness around him together. Uh, and so I, I I do kind of appreciate that. <laughs> yeah, I I agree with that. I I, I like that it. just Mario in general being able to kind of being that every man and you know it's it's great when he is paired with Luigi because Luigi I feel like almost has more of a well not almost Luigi does have more of a personality a distinct personality than Mario does Mario's just kind of down for whatever he's gonna woohoo his way into you know winning but Luigi is the little scaredy cat dude who is kind of overshadowed by his brother and, you know, maybe wouldn't even be around here doing any of this if it weren't for his brother kind of dragging him along. And I, I, I think that that, that dynamic in particular um, is, is just fun in this one because, you know, it's, you, you are controlling two completely different characters and they emphasize that by making you, use even different buttons for controlling your different characters and the times when they split them up it it just you are so beaten down by the fact that you don't have the other character there that it kind of makes the the connection between the two of them all the more powerful when you do yeah what they do with luigi is actually really really good because so when was luigi's mansion was 2002 I believe so. It would have to be before this because Egad is in this game. That's right, because uh, because Professor Egad was meant was that was meant to be uh, Samus, wasn't it, from Metroid? And they 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 brought in Professor Egad pretty late on, I think, in development, um, and made them Luigi's Mansion references. But that 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 feels to me like the start of this idea that Luigi is this cowardly, the cowardly other, the cowardly brother. Uh, and I think what they do in this game is they play into that really, really well. And it gives Luigi a, a character arc, whereas Mario is your, he's your Hulk Hogan, he's your Captain America, he's your I'll blaze in, you know, I'll take anything on. Whereas Luigi's the complete opposite. Until you get to that point in the game where Luigi has to become the the hero. And, and it's it goes to that adage that you can't be brave unless you're first afraid. And by the end of it, so at the start, everyone's saying, oh, yo, this is the famous Mario and you're the green one. <laughs> and by the end of it, there's people, I think, in the in the final scene, there's someone says, wow, look, it's Luigi. You know, and you feel like Luigi's had this massive, he's come full circle now and he's just, he's, he's stepped out of the shadow, Mario's shadow, and he's been on this adventure and he's the hero as well. And I'm really looking forward to seeing how they, it, or if they develop that further in the in the future games. They play with that quite a bit in Thousand Year Door as well. There's kind of uh, cool. two versions of that joke. There's the, the Luigi going on his own separate adventure that you just kind of hear about in uh, retroactive stories throughout your adventure. And so it sounds like he's been having kind of a, a wild ride along the way. Uh, and then you meet some other characters who... Um, who say that maybe he's making up and embellishing some of the details and actually he's kind of stumbling <laughs> his way into success, which is a very cute uh, way to yeah. handle that. And then there's, there's also a, a character who you meet throughout the game who knows of Luigi and is convinced that you are Luigi and, uh, and it doesn't seem to know who Mario is. And so that's like a fun, like reversal on that as well. It's a sense that like, Oh, you know what? 
Luigi exists. He has his fans. Um, it's just that most people prefer Mario. In this, our year of Luigi again. Um, (laughs) yeah, I, this is a good time to uh, bring up part of a, uh, a different piece of correspondence from the forum. This is from Raisin B Man says, I didn't know it at the time, but this game continued the trend of giving some of the main players of Mario games actual personalities and dialogue, as opposed to just being functional. This was also a year before Thousand Year Door, and while Paper Mario for the N64 had come out previously, it was pretty basic in terms of character. Luigi's Mansion also gave us a bit of character for Luigi, but not much. With Superstar Saga, we get an expansion on pretty much everything I've just mentioned. Luigi has to be brave, Bowser gets into shenanigans, and we even get a lot of cameos, some of which were cut. The game also does the thing Mario games used to do, which doesn't seem to be done anymore. I'm not huge into mainline Mario, so this may be not true. Which is to have you explore a kingdom. The Bean Bean Kingdom, as in the name as the name implies, consists of green bean people and has plenty of bean and laugh-based puns, and you end up making coffee and soda. While I do not expect much from Mario's story, having it thematically connect like this, even the sillier parts, gives me a grin. So yeah, I I, I think that uh, a lot of people may have uh, found a, a love for Luigi, or uh, expanded their love for Luigi in this game. Uh, there's also some new villains! Um... Cacletta and Fawful are the kind of main characters that we are against. Bowser does show up uh, throughout the game. And in fact, you're kind of led in the beginning of the game to believe that Bowser is going to be the main villain because he shows up in order to steal Peach away like he always does and then finds out that her voice has already been stolen and she's dropping bombs out of her that that's another good visual gag i think when uh peach's voice is supposedly stolen so she um when she goes to speak she just has kind of these little wingdings in her so speech funny. bubble and they turn into bombs and drop down from the speech <laughs> bubble to uh blow up all around her that's that's kind of fun to me uh but the cackle and Fawful steal her voice as part of the plot to activate the Bean Star, a magical artifact that will grant any wish when exposed to a noble and beautiful voice. And apparently Peach has the only noble and beautiful voice in the world, so they have to steal hers. <laughs> um Wee Um Yeah, so uh, what do you guys think about the villains in this game? Are they do they stand up to our our current baddies uh bowser etc it's all about fawful isn't it really <laughs> i mean yeah you you mentioned uh in in the uh canamer slack that you are very fond of fawful so I love uh, this, fawful. Is, this is your chance go a, off <laughs> a dream a dream of a game where you can control fawful because it, it's yeah cacletta's the the, the villain is she uh she, so she's the one who's uh you know, she's the she's the scenery chewer. Uh, obviously, turns into some kind of weird fusion with Bowser, and we end up with Bowletta. But Fawful is just always there as somebody who you kind of feel like Fawful thinks that he's the most he's the cleverest guy in the room. So he's like that kind of undervillain who clearly knows that he's way cooler and way smarter than his than his boss, and he's just waiting for that time when his when his boss is going to slip up. And Fawful's going to take his rightful place as chief antagonist, but it never happens. It, it it's his syntax that I just I just never ever tired of it. I mean, some of some of his quotes. Next, it is the turn of you, 
And it's it's not voice. I mean, the only speech that you get in this game is Charles Martin. That's very very funny. And Ryan gave that great imitation earlier. But you just you can you can really hear it. You know, when you read it, you can just you imagine you, Fawful has its own voice in your head. And the other one on on the on the uh, protagonist side is 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 Peasley. He's the other one I think is famously you know very very funny. But I just ne- whenever four four was on the screen, whenever there was a scene involving four four, you know, my face would just light up because you're just waiting for the next the next line of dialogue. It just it wouldn't be for everyone, but I, it just made me laugh every single time. Really, like laugh out loud stuff. It's well, so. Chris, good. I have good news for you about the uh, the the next entries in the Mario and Luigi series. You haven't seen the last of Fawful, that's all I'll say. I have fury. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I loved it. And it, it, it was if you took Fawful out this game, I would still have really liked it, but it it really elevated the whole thing. I, I thought it was that good. It really did make a big impact on me. They're also kind of mildly um terrifying in the way that sometimes like Kirby villains or like earthbound villains are are terrifying. Yeah. Um, there's, there's something that's like a little bit kind of like darkly grotesque about them as well. (laughs) If anybody ever says to me in real life, now is when I ram you, I will literally (laughs) run and I will never stop. Yeah. Um, I, Fawful is, um, (laughs) he's, he's a delight. Like you you don't want to, or at least I didn't, you like, he almost seems like you shouldn't be taking him seriously, but he is dangerous. So it's <laughs> it's a mistake to kind of disregard him completely. Um but yeah, he's uh he's this is his uh his kind of entry onto the Mario and Luigi stage and uh yeah, we will see more of him going forward. Uh there is also a pretty significant section towards the end of the game, and I I don't know about this section. If I were going to change something, it, w- it might be this, um, because at the end of the game, you get all of the Koopalings from uh, previous, from, I guess they started in, what, Mario 3, probably? Um, the Koopalings, uh, who have at various times been Bowser's children or his minions, uh, depending on which, uh, which kind of, um, uh, mythology you, you go along with. And I, I wasn't super happy about how they were used here. It kind of felt like they were trying to squish too much in at the very end of the game and, and, it was it was interesting because what they did was typically you you do have to fight a Koopaling, but there's kind of a uh, an environmental puzzle and yeah. a mini game attached to each one of them before you actually get to the real fight. And I was not very good at these mini games, so maybe that was my problem. <laughs> what did you guys think of the uh, the Koopaling brigade? I think by that point in the game, it started to feel like the game was getting a little long in the tooth. Um, mm-hmm. I understand I was playing this via emulation, and so I didn't feel the the pull of, like, this cost me this much money, I must get this much time and enjoyment out of it. And so, uh, you know, I was I was ready for the game to kind of start wrapping up. It felt like that's where the kind of story and pacing were going, and this felt like just kind of a little bit of a 
dragging out the proceedings longer than they needed to be. But um, but I, I think it's it's such a lovely art style as well, and the Koopalings are always so expressive. Uh, it is kind of nice to see them drawn in this this fun kind of squishy cartoony way um but uh yeah like as far as the overall aesthetic of the game it didn't really add that much to to include them in there it's probably my favorite section of the game really yeah yeah it was i mean the whole bowser's castle was my yeah my favorite dungeon uh, I really like the puzzle. Well, I suppose there's, there's two aspects to this. I I really like the the puzzle setup to the battles, and I really I yeah, I didn't struggle with the, man. I struggle with other things in this game, but I didn't struggle with the mini games that preceded each of the Koopaling battles. And I found the whole kind of work out the trick and then beat them quite easily a relief because I I struggled generally with the uh, with the combat in Bowser's Castle, and I was running out of healing resources. So I was having this whole t- stress that I wasn't going to make it to the end of the game without having to kind of exit out of Bowser's Castle, which you can do, and go back to the you know the main town and and, and resupply. So by the time I got, I was really worried about these, you know, I knew oh, there's going to be seven of these mini bosses, and by that time, yeah, I'm going to really struggle. Uh, so I was there was a sense of relief as well, actually, because they're not that difficult once you work out if you can get through the mini game. The actual battle against them isn't really that tough. So I think I was almost thankful for them and maybe maybe my opinion of them is elevated because I I didn't find it too much of a challenge. But also as well, I think when, when this came out in 2003, we hadn't had the whole new Super Mario Brothers series. So I think now we're a bit we're a bit kind of coupling out. I think we've seen them so many times in this in 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 their way in which they were implemented the new Super Mario Brothers series that. Um, it wasn't the first time we saw them in this game, but I think it was if you take yourself back and think, okay, well, maybe it, it might have felt fresh back in 2003. I don't think that the... that. So I, I agree with what, Ryan, you were saying about it starting to feel a bit long in the tooth by this point. So I'm thinking that maybe what I wanted was not to have the Koopalings removed completely. I think maybe I just felt like they were a bit too compressed, and mm-hmm. if they had been given more space to breathe, yeah. it would have it would have expanded the game. So I don't know, maybe that means that a different section could have been removed. I, I don't have one in mind because I didn't I, I didn't I don't think that I had really any sections that I just thought, oh I don't I don't really like this. Guaha Lagoon, um, maybe? The which one? I'm sorry. The lagoon, you know, or or any of the uh, underwater sections, perhaps. Yeah, I mean, maybe just some of the backtracking. Because um, yeah. I I I liked <laughs> I liked the concept of the Yoshi Theater, but having to go back around the entire map yeah. to find the the beans was maybe not mm. my favorite. So mm. I I don't know. I I don't I don't necessarily have something directly in mind. But maybe if the section with the Koopalings had been expanded a little bit and allowed them to be more characters than just kind of the end point of the the uh, the mini game, I, I might have preferred that. But um, I don't like I said, don't think it was bad necessarily. It just wasn't my favorite, really. Mm. Um, so there was that. Um, we talked a little bit before. And um, and again, just now regarding the Koopalings specifically about uh, the art style. And I want to go into that a little bit more. So 
We have um, 2D cartoonish type sprites, very bright, very colorful. Sounds like we're all pretty positive on the art style of this game. Yes? Yep. Yeah. It was a prime reminder to me, though, how how terrible that even the GBASP, if you haven't got the, the, the good model, the one with the really good screen, and you haven't had your original GBASP modded, uh, it's backlit, but it's still so washed out compared to... You know how it looks if you play play it on Switch, for instance, or I'm sure you guys had on on emulation. I kind of wonder if this was made specifically, kind of around the limitations of the Game Boy, and if like different choices would have been made if this was made for any other system. Like it, yeah. the the characters all have really thick black outlines. They're they're more kind of darker colors in the character sprites than a lot of like really soft pastels in the background to help them pop out. You know, it's maybe one of those times where the uh, the limitations of or the even some of the maybe poor design decisions of the system that the, the game was intended for uh, forced a certain design discipline that ended up being uh, kind of a positive choice in the long run. It's lost. It's it's lost that stage look as well that you know Super Mario RPG definitely definitely had, and the isometric perspective really lent into that. But even Paper Mario has that feel that it's all you know the, with the way the kind of the things fold mm-hmm. down as you walk into rooms. I'm talking about the original Paper Mario here. So I went into this kind of expecting that similar to feel like it was a a small stage play, each with each each town being like you know its own little set. Uh, and initially, I was a little bit disappointed that it wasn't like that. But by the end, it's a bit more traditional in the way it looks. Uh, but by the end, I completely got used to it. But if, at first, it was a bit like, oh, that's a shame. I quite like that aesthetic from the other two games. Yeah, I, I have relatively recently played um, some of the, the ports of the GBA Castlevania games. And the earlier you go with... Mm. Game Boy Advance games, the more you can kind of see that maybe they didn't really have a great handle on how to design things for that particular screen. Mm -hmm. So, you know, the first one of those Castlevania games is kind of dark and, you know, you can see where, especially since there was no backlight for the screen at that point, that it would have been a really big issue to not be able to kind of tell what was going on so then the second one completely overcompensates by making everything super bright (laughs) and super visible and and it you know this being uh published by nintendo you feel like you know they they had a better idea of what exactly was was going on and how to best utilize the hardware as they kind of do and also this is later into the game boy's uh game boy advances life cycle so the the gbasp was available and you know they they also just had further experience so i i guess what i'm what i'm getting at is that the art style is great and i really like it but it's also probably the most suitable type of original yeah. art style for mm-hmm. this kind of game that they they could have used in my yeah. opinion yeah one of the things i also like about the when the mario series does this this kind of goes back to our discussion of the koopalings just before um but like it definitely plays in with the art style it's like i like when when basic enemy types are given kind of elevated roles or distinct personalities within Bar- bowser's army uh there's there's something about like individual koopas being treated like the generals of the army or being treated like they have a specific job to do 
when they're all pretty much identical. Like, I don't know. There's, there's like a little bit of good comedy in that. And I think like mm-hmm. going back to the Koopa wings that, that, that element is kind of removed because you have these characters that by design kind of insist that we are special. Uh, you know, we are distinct from everyone else and you don't get to kind of tell that same kind of joke. Uh, I understand it makes it a little bit easier to, to use kind of visual shorthands, but I think this game does a good job of making all of the kind of foot soldiers and stuff feel like um, like real characters as well and, and feel like there's there's so much more about this that feels like a lived-in world that feels like characters in community with one another, people that actually know each other, uh, people that have like a... like the Even just the fact that there's like a measurable geographic... Uh, relationship between these different lands which you don't always get in mario games like makes it feel like like you really are just visiting a place with its own traditions its own folklore with its own uh eccentrics and weirdos and and that's that's a lot of fun the animation goes a long way for that as well i mean as as maybe you know the arts that maybe there was a limit to what they could do with the with the art style and how much it would jump out off that rather basic GBA screen, but there's some lovely attention to detail with the animation, not 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 just with mm-hmm. Mario and Luigi, but just with, you know, as you're, as you're kind of walking around the towns and, and you go into conversations, there's just really nice touches, some of which are just really funny, but others are just like subtle little bits of animation which just make the characters a little bit more engaging to look at. Uh, they did a really good job with the attention to detail. I'm a pretty big sucker for when games are not, voiced but you can kind of tell what kind of voice yeah. they're going yeah, exactly. for yeah. by how the character by both you know how the text is presented and also just kind of how the character is acting yeah and and i'm thinking specifically of like prince peasley here like you can kind of just <laughs> you know i i just i have a very specific uh idea in my head of how he would sound you know and, and uh and and it's it's very regal and mm. uh self, kind of self-important but not in necessarily an annoying <laughs> way because he's i think he's a pretty good character he's just you know he's he's a little bit perfect for his own good <laughs> and um yeah the only the only actual voices we get are uh of course the the wahoos and let's a goes um of, of charles martinet which are really funny when they're yeah. used yeah absolutely with Peasley, I mean, I, I was I was expecting right through the game that he was going to turn out to be a villain, and yeah, I, they you know they kind of do mm-hmm. like make you think that um, maybe that's just how we've been conditioned. Like <laughs> this guy, this guy. But I'd I'd convinced myself so much that he was going to be a villain that when it turned out that he wasn't, it was almost like a kind of a plot twist that wasn't a plot twist. <laughs> <laughs> um. So speaking of uh. Charles Martinet. I I keep wanting to end my sentences with Charles Martinet with rest in peace. He is not dead. <laughs> he just isn't doing Mario's voice anymore. He is alive and well, uh, as far as I know. Um, but yeah, so uh, let's talk about the audio a little bit. Um, we mentioned that the voices are not really present except for that. Uh, and, you know, the, the charm, of course, that they bring. Um, but music and sound effects. Uh, I... Uh, 
was kind of off and on with whether I had sound on um, playing on a handheld mm-hmm. system. That is just a fact of it for me sometimes. But uh, as we mentioned before, Yoko Shimomura did uh, do the original music for this game. Uh, and of course, Koji Kondo also credited for themes and sound support. So um, my question to you guys is, uh, does this really feel like Mario music? And did you uh, have any standout tracks or standout sections that you enjoyed the music in i played with music and sound off for quite a bit of it as well just because i was staying with my parents and didn't want to be blasting my video game sounds all over the place but uh the bits that i do remember are like not necessarily that positively remembered um and i don't mean to cast aspersions on the entire soundtrack because again like i don't have experience with the full soundtrack but there are at least a couple of sections that have like comically short loops that just play over and over and mm. over and over again. I'm, I'm thinking of there's one song in particular. It's a da na 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 and it just repeats that over and over and over again. And I just I I don't know. Uh, no disrespect to uh, a very very talented composer who is definitely like proven her talent time and time again, but. Uh, the bits and pieces that I heard from this game didn't really win me over that much. In my tolerance, I think for this, for, for sound and music and RPGs, I mean, I've listened to so many of the Kane rinse issues over the years where people have talked about, you know, how long before the music gets turned off. I think I just have a really high tolerance level for that kind of thing so i never i never got tired of it and i wonder how much ryan made an interesting point about about the limitations of the uh of the system almost limiting the ambitions of the of the artist when it comes to some of the artwork i just wonder how much because remember the gba didn't even have a sound chip so you just wonder how much of the not a dedicated sound chip anyway you just wonder how much of that was played into Yoko, some of Yoko Shimomura's, the great Yoko Shimomura's choices when she was designing some of this stuff. Um, it does have a couple of standard tracks. I mean, I love the Tiki Valley music. I really, really like that kind of Wild West, although it it, it is also plays host to my least favourite uh, part of the game in terms of gameplay. But the music there, yes, that kind of Wild West theme, I really, really liked I, I, it, does it sound like a Mario game? Uh, that's a really difficult one because I think a lot of this, you know, with the Paper Mario stuff as well, the kind of the, the side Mario stuff does have its own kind of thing going on. Uh, it's a difficult one to answer, but I don't think it's one of Yoko Shimomura's best scores. I was listening to it on, on Friday while I was working just to remind myself. It, yeah, it kind of was all right for me in game, but that Tiki Valley one is a. If anyone's going to listen to a track from the soundtrack, I would recommend that they look up that one. It's had some really good remixes over the years as well. I think my my biggest issue with the soundtrack isn't even really the fault of the soundtrack; it's the fault of the hardware mm. uh, and just kind of the limitations. I, I should look up and see uh like some of those remixes that like you were mentioning because like i was also listening to the soundtrack um just on a youtube playlist and just it some of it just sounds kind of harsh to Mm. me like and and i don't think that that plays very well with the art style which is very 
not harsh. You know, mm. it's rounded. It's, it's, I, I keep saying colorful, but it is, you know, it's very mm. bright. Um, and the, the gameplay, or I'm, I'm sorry, not the gameplay, the, uh, the soundtrack just, it, it almost doesn't mesh very well with it. And, and I mean, it's, it's, I didn't think it was bad. It just wasn't engaging enough for me to, count it as one of the game's stronger features which is which is kind of a shame given how how strong um i feel that yokoshimura really is typically um i i agree though that i don't think this is necessarily one of her stronger uh um scores unfortunately hmm. but uh as i'm as i'm kind of saying there uh it's it's not Saying that a Mario and Luigi score isn't that great is still not a terrible uh, thing, yeah. really. So uh, I don't think we're we're putting it down too much for that. Um, Gameplay-wise, uh, this is probably, for me at least, where the game really just shines the most. Uh, because at this point, I think when I initially played this game, I hadn't really played much like it the battle is active you know you you are not just hitting buttons to take your turn you kind of have to actually be paying attention when you're taking your turn as well as when the enemy is taking their turn so that you don't just immediately die when they attack you and um off the off battle uh that that was a weird way to say that out of battle um you also have various skills and abilities that will help you solve puzzles and traverse the world as uh, No More Spiro's notes from the forum, Superstar Saga remains the only game in the series where Mario and Luigi can switch places. I can understand why this was removed in future games. It's a bit tedious to have to add another button when wanting to do one overworld traversal technique over the other, and in terms of characterization, of course Luigi would prefer to hide behind his older brother so as to keep up his cowardly mannerisms. Not only that, but I know that several players out there instinctively press start to open the menu, so to have it moved to the less optimal select button is another knock against it. But I love having Luigi be able to take the reins. Not only does it help differentiate the brother's strengths and weaknesses more, but it can be even it can even be beneficial to how you encounter enemies in the overworld. If one brother has more physical prowess, you can have them take the lead, so you'll likely do more damage. By that same logic, if you find the following brother delivers that first blow instead because of how the jumping mechanics work, make the tougher one take that position instead. Even the little voice clips help strengthen this with Mario's let's go being one of both confidence and coaxing his younger sibling along, and Luigi's okie dokie being delivered with the same bravado as an unprepared student about to give an oral report. <laughs> I don't think Superstar Saga is the best in the series, or even the one with the most personality, but what it does have is an opportunity for self-expression and characterization that the series promptly discarded. Maybe it's just me, but I think the benefits are worth the cost of reaching for a select. <laughs> well put. <laughs> So uh yeah this is a uh an interesting setup and one that most of the time I did not find to be especially cumbersome. Uh I I think that there were probably a couple of screens or a couple of battles that I got into in a way that was not optimal because I hadn't um set up my characters in the way and like I had one of them set to hammer when I should have had them set to jump mm -hmm. or something to that effect. Although I did use a lot the thing that you don't even find out unless you talk to a specific person. I, I don't even remember where they are, but um if you tap both triggers at the same time, it will return you kind of to the default jumps yes. for both of them. Yeah. And um that is super useful um uh, because you can end up with some pretty crazy combinations. But yeah. uh, what did you guys think of the uh the kind of 
asymmetrical uh, co-op with yourself <laughs> thing that they have going on here. I really like the setup of one button for each Mario brother. Like, yeah, the, yeah. It, it reminds me of a uh, Brothers: A Tale of Two Sons. Like, there's a a sense mm-hmm. that like they each kind of control independently. There's a little bit of annoyance sometimes when it comes to the platforming in the overworld because there's in in most cases you want both brothers to be jumping alongside each other which requires a lot of pressing both buttons at once which actually is a nice advantage of playing on the steam deck because i bound um one of the the back paddles to pressing both buttons at once and so not only ah. did i have one jump <laughs> button that i could use in the overworld but uh, it also meant that I could uh, just press that whenever I needed to dodge anything in battle and I didn't have to think about mm. which brother was which. Um, I, I spoke about in battle, the um, in, even out of battle, the, the A and B button labels were kind of reversed on on my setup. Uh, and so, you know, I thought easy enough, I could just go into the Steam Deck settings uh, for this particular game and just reverse those controls and then the uh, labels will be correct. Um, but in the battles, they also have like actually a pretty intelligent setup where the character actions are not only labeled with the A and B labels, but the characters are also positioned uh, where the buttons would be positioned relative yeah. to each other in their battle layout. And this extends even more in the next game in Partners in Time where you have four characters. They make a little diamond on the battlefield that represents their uh, placements. And so... Um, like the uh, the naughty cheater that I was, uh, reversing the controls so that the on-screen <laughs> prompts matched what I uh, intended, um, it, it did mean that everyone was positioned incorrectly in the battle settings and in the battle uh, layout, and so it, it you know there's there's no winning for people like me, unfortunately. <laughs> uh, but uh, it played in its intended in optimal formats um it's it's actually really intelligent um and i i also really like any time in a game when in battle attacks are given like an out of battle use uh so you know not only i guess stuff like Baldur's gate 3 right now which is you know it's a crpg staple where your abilities are your abilities whether you're in battle or not and you can use them to puzzle solve or you can use them to fight um, this has a little bit of that same kind of juice to it, where if you get a new weapon, if you get a new upgrade, then that that helps you out in uh, not only your traversal of the world, but also it gives you a nice little boost in in battle as well. And um, that's that was always a really pleasant surprise. It's like uh, getting getting double the rewards. Yeah, I think I think out I think out of battle in the in the overworld, they do a lot with very little because the gba only has if you in if you okay so select is used to bring up the menu but if you discount the uh the kind of the the buttons in the center you only have four buttons you have an l and an r you have an a and b so so and if you think about the amount of verbs that you have in Mm -hmm. in this game they need to try and come up with combinations and how to use those buttons in the most elegant way and i think i think for the for the most part they succeed Although, so I was about 25 hours by the time I, after spending probably four hours on that final boss, um, I, I was probably about 25 hours by the time I finished this game. And reflecting back on it, I I miss pressed buttons, I think, 
too many times for it to be just a slip of the fingers. So I, I, yeah, I, I think whilst I applaud what they tried to, and by and large what they achieved in terms of giving you all of these options and the, uh, by the end of the game you have all this range of of different things that you can do. It, it, it's little things where I think there were slight missteps. You know, if if you accidentally trigger the high jump, for instance, you know, Luigi has about three or four bounces on Mario's head before he gets off again. And you can't, well, I don't think you can cancel out of it. Those kind of things when you're in puzzle dungeons or you're in the overworld and, and sometimes you know, the, the, there's a lot of visual noise on the on the screen. Sometimes it's a bit difficult to see exactly where you're trying to jump. I just there were times when I did get a little frustrated and I kind of, you know, it's kind of a half a mark down for me on, on the on the uh, interface. Yeah, it. I, I feel like they did overall a pretty decent job. And I'll, I'll, I think that it, obviously Nintendo didn't develop this game, but um, Nintendo games overall, I, I, I feel, tend to do pretty well with dribbling out your abilities in a in a kind of cadence that isn't overwhelming for the most part and you know builds off of what you already have pretty decently and i feel like that is more or less the case here but there is a lot and i can definitely see where especially if you weren't used to this kind of game where it could uh it could be a little bit tough to kind of manage all of that especially with kind of the minimal um resources that you get that said you can get through most of the game by just doing basic attacks uh, so the battle at least i mean it's going to be easier if you master a lot of the other uh, a lot of the other uh things especially the the brothers or the bros attacks but um yeah i mean i for the most part i just kind of stuck to jumps and hammers and i did pretty okay uh up until the last boss, which I promise we will get there. <laughs> um, but yeah, it. Um, I, I think that it, it does do a decent job, but it is still challenging for sure. I, I've always kind of liked the, uh, the type of RPG that gives you uh, kind of an active role in combat. Yeah. And, and this... It, it, there were some attacks and some sections where I did have a tough time kind of getting the timing down for particular enemies' attacks. Um, I, I'm not thinking of which ones they, I should have written that down, but uh, I, yeah, there were, you know, there are a ton of different types of enemies and a ton of different types of attacks, and some of them are pretty similar in how they attack, and then some of them, it's not quite what you expect, and the timing is, it's not super punishing, but it's also not very forgiving, so you need to be pretty on the ball with yeah. your defense if you want to actually get that defend action in in time. And I didn't always. No. So, yeah, I, I, I don't know. I, I, I think that overall, I would say I'm, I'm pretty satisfied with how that came out. But I, I can definitely see how that would have been a sticking point for some people. I wonder whether I wonder how much fun this is on on for if you're someone who likes to replay games over and over again. I wonder how quickly this system will get old. I, I really enjoy. I re, in fact, I relish the challenge. If you go into a new dungeon or a new area and you have new enemies, 
it's really fun working out right okay what are the attacks what are they weak to what what how, how can i defend against you know can i counter it, it's really it's, it becomes like a puzzle game and then usually by the time you've got pretty proficient at dodging the attacks or countering you you've you've moved on and and so the pace of the game is such that it never outstays its welcome and then you've got new challenges in the next area to face I just wonder kind of how much uh, longevity there is in this. If you are someone who likes to, you know, I'm, I'm quite why you would want to go through the game. You know, I don't think there's a huge amount of extra content. But if you did, I just wonder whether it would lose its luster on repeater plays. Well, you see, you have to get all of the beans so that you can make all of You do have to the get copies. all of them, every <laughs> single one. <laughs> Maybe. Uh, I didn't actually find the coffee shop until pretty far into the game. Oh, no. I think I just didn't go in. <laughs> like, I, I, for some reason, just didn't do it. Um, it so set I it up, up quite well with, like, a covered arch that you, uh, it yeah. kind of, it, it's everything about oh, it's that whole town. Fault. Is... It's my fault, for sure. <laughs> Raisin Bee Man from the forum says, you control both brothers simultaneously and each brother is a button. This is pretty intuitive after the first few bouts. In the theming of brotherhood, they continue to learn from new brother pairs and even some sisters. Even in combat, we get some differentiation in the brothers and what they're capable of. Of course, this is for gameplay reasons, but it is interesting to see what happens when the gameplay doesn't necessitate a singular power-up structure. Fireflower equals fire powers. Bro's actions aren't just limited to positive things. If a bro is KO'd and he is targeted, the other will try to protect them, which makes it harder to defend, but is thematically on point. Enemies would act opportunistically in the face of an unresponsive target, but this is only one of the examples that happens regularly in the genre, even today. I suppose the Superstar Saga is also not just a subtitle here. Many people are aware of Mario and Green Guy's exploits, and of course, his famous jump. Um, I, I believe that somebody previously mentioned that they really only used the one bros attack, and yeah. that was also my experience for the most part. So uh, did you guys have any favorite abilities or favorite uh, enemy setups or, uh, you know, things things that you found to be fun once you got there? I, I, do, I think this is probably the point where I throw in the fact that I think it's a little bit weird that they did get some of their abilities from hand massages um, yes. <laughs> from the nice jellyfish ladies that... Uh, yeah, I mean, listen, you do you, buddy, but um, I, mm, I'm making your hand more powerful that way has some I was, things. I was quite relieved that that didn't take the dark turn that I was kind of expecting <laughs> once you go into a massage parlor, but it's actually the place is pretty straight, thankfully. Yeah. It's kind of, kind of fun to uh, kick a Koopa shell back and forth between the two brothers, and you have that nice little mini game of keeping it going for as long as possible to inflict extra damage. Yeah, I was pretty bad at that one, but but it is fun. <laughs> Out of battle, the Luigi, the, the the one where you hammer Luigi into the ground, I think was a was a was a really fun. A, a, it's it's a nice visual gag because you can just see the top of Luigi's cap moving around above above the ground. But my my favourite, so my favourite non combat environments were those where the brothers split, and I always really liked those puzzle areas where you had to send Luigi off to do one thing, and Mario might have to become. You know, small. He's hit with the hammer, so he go. That that that's something. I never found any of it too challenging, but it always made me feel yeah reasonably smart. And I, I love puzzle games, but sometimes I can get I can get pretty horribly stuck. But this felt like it's the except the, when you've got to hammer Luigi in to become a surfboard towards the end to get to um jo- jokes end the jokes end dungeon. 
I just couldn't get. And I think on the GBA, it's really, it's really tight. The window that you've got to, you've got to have him standing in just the right position. I just couldn't do it. And in the end, I wandered around the world for about two hours trying to figure out what I had to do until I had to look at a guide. Yeah, I, I got stuck in the Jokes End dungeon for a while um, because there is a pretty significant portion where you have to split up the characters yeah. and kind of um, maneuver them around in different directions. Um, I, I wouldn't say it was game-breaking by any stretch, but uh, that that was probably the one point that I got the closest to being just frustrated by yeah. not knowing what to do. Mm. I was certainly guilty, though, of mastering one of the bros attacks for them each and then just using that throughout the whole game and maybe that's part of the reason why I struggled so much with the final boss is that I didn't um I di- I didn't explore any of the uh elemental base bros attacks I just stuck with the ones that I knew setting it on setting 3 which produced the most powerful attack and then I just used those every single time yeah, I was I was pretty uh pretty much the same. Uh your your attacks will get more powerful as you use them. Uh the bros attacks do anyway and um yep, that's pretty much all I did. So did you Scott, did you guys notice that every now and again you'd get an advance thing would come up? I I think that's just making your attack more powerful. Okay. If that's what I'm thinking of. And there are ways to extend some of your bros attacks as well if you do the timing just right yeah. or input like hidden button combinations. Right. And is there anywhere in the game that teaches you that or is it just something that you have to just figure out on the fly? I think there's a little bit of... Uh, I, there are some um, not exactly hidden tutorials, but like if you just talk to people that yeah. are not necessarily required, some of them will give you those kind of like, like how I found the the person who said oh you yeah. just tap both triggers and it'll take it it's it i don't think that it's something specific that you have to do but i don't think it's also i i also don't think that it's um you know secretive in, in yeah anyway all right mr ixalite from the forum says my experience with superstar saga was remarkably similar to the one i had with super mario rpg Though the games obviously build off the established Mario iconography, I found it refreshing just how much new stuff the designers were able to, able to throw at the wall. New locales, enemies, and characters. Granted, a lot of enemies were variations on existing things like Goombas and Koopas, but they were often weird and surprising variations. The characters also have so much more, well, character than the mainline games, and much like No More Spiros, I was only all too happy to let Luigi lead the way through the adventure. The battle system managed to keep things varied and involving, until it didn't. After a while, the turn-based battles started to seem a bit repetitive, and sadly, like Super Mario RPG before it, I never finished the game. This might also be due to the pacing of the story, which felt a bit scattershot. I think I made it until the initial battle with Cacletta, after which I was surprised that the story just kept going. <laughs> so let's talk about the bosses. Um, I I mean, my, my boss opinions are very short they were not difficult until the last boss what do you guys think yeah yeah exactly the same i mean i didn't i don't think i died in the game i may have died once or twice when i was just when i forgot to use a healing item you know the small numbers means that it all it's all very meaningful you know you know the attacks are going to do five or six damage so it's all very readable and i think if you're paying attention it's it's breezy it feels breezy you know i was breezing through it 
even though I was starting to struggle a little bit in the final dungeon with some of the regular enemies. So I think it's one of those games where you don't need to grind, but if you can avoid a lot of battles. It's one of those where, just like in Super Mario RPG, you know, you can avoid a lot of combat. I think if you did that, you'd probably feel pretty underlevel by the time you got to the end. But as long as you're conscientious enough of tackling encounters as, as they come, don't think you shouldn't really need to do any grinding. But the last boss is just a huge difficulty spike. Uh, inexplicable in some ways. That's kind of the thing, is that I I enjoyed the battle system in this game, but I, I looked back at a video of some of the bosses uh, earlier today, and I just had very little memory of any of them, yeah. really. Um, and it, it kind of made me wonder whether bosses really played to the strength of this game whether it was even really necessary because i think back to the joy that i got from this game was following the story engaging in the you know quick and easy little battles that you know came my way when i was out exploring solving the occasional puzzle but i i didn't really feel like the game benefited from testing my combat capabilities like putting it to an extensive and rigorous test because it's just this the battle system feels too simple to do anything like truly interesting or strategic with but it doesn't feel like 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 there's enough um i don't know there's not enough kind of a mechanical appeal to make me want to like really test it further. And I, I guess it would have maybe felt like it was a bit of a waste to include it. If all of the battles were just these kind of like rather frictionless, uh, you know, regular enemy encounters, I, I realized to justify the inclusion of a battle system, they have to include some sort of a culmination, but um, I don't know. I, I think back to like Disco Elysium that had virtually no combat in the entire game and thought like that feels like, like I just wish more games felt like they kind of had permission to just do that. <laughs> I think for me, it was not even that that there was a difficult battle. It was that it just felt so abrupt. Like this is not some kind of boss you know super boss that is optional and that you can kind of you know get yourself uh geared up for and and then just go in the end so to to be uh more specific about it the end boss is um cackletta who in the first stage i think is is still connected with bowser is that correct yeah i think so um so it's a it's a two-stage battle and the first stage is not especially difficult. I mean, it's it's you know a, a, a what you would expect, I think, from a uh, a boss fight in this game. So you know, more challenging, obviously, than your your standard enemies, but not not overly horrible. Then you get sucked in by the final boss, and you, you are reduced to one hit point. Yeah. Uh, this was the part that really got me, was that you are reduced to one hit point, and the boss is very fast, so they get to go yeah. before you do. So you do not have time to heal. You have to just make sure that you dodge, because if you don't, you are going back to the last save point. There is no checkpointing. It's not that kind of game. It's uh, So, you know, your one hit point, if you manage to survive through that, 
then you have a uh, a final boss who has two arms and a head that you have to take out before it exposes the heart. And the heart has a ton of hit points. Yeah. And it only stays vulnerable for a couple of turns. So you kind of have to just beat away at the heart and then you go back to the beginning because it regenerates everything and you have to destroy everything else to get it too. This took me forever. And like I said, this is where I finally, I didn't really feel like I needed to use save states for anything else. But for this, I absolutely did because I, if I didn't, then that, that one hit point thing would have taken me out a couple of times. Um, and, and that I would have, it's very frustrating, but, uh, yeah. So, um, now is the time. Now is the hour. Say your piece about the final boss. Uh, Chris, you, you can go. <laughs> oh, the final boss. Uh, I don't know. The only thing I was thinking when you were talking there was, so whether I'd got something from the coffee shop, because I didn't get all of the coffee beans, and I think there yeah. are sort of 10 extra items that you can get from um, Professor Egad at the coffee shop in uh, Bean Bean Town. I think I ended up getting six of them. And I wonder whether there was one of those which made Mario a lot faster than he would have otherwise been because I did attack first in that second phase. Oh, okay. So that made a huge difference for me in that I... So Mario always went first, and obviously then you can use one of the nuts allows you to max HP. So I never suffered with that, which I wonder if I did, whether I would have finished this game. Because... Even without, even without having that, a really strange decision to kind of leave you so exposed, having to, and some of these attacks depended on how lucky you get. I think it's a bit of RNG, isn't it, as to which attacks Cacletta will throw at you? But I think so. I'm not sure. If it does the one with the spinny arms, I, I will be dead because that, that would be enough. That's almost enough to wipe you out, even if you've got full HP. So, I, I, I probably 12, 13 attempts at this before I got it. And I'm, I, you know, I'm, I'm one of those people that just, if I start a game, particularly an RPG, I will finish it, you know, and I am dogged and I will, I, I wouldn't be able to rest. But I was, I was starting to get that sort of sweaty palm feeling when you know you've got a cane and rinse issue coming up and you think, what am I going to do if I can't, if I can't do this? Because I was, this was me in Thousand Year Door, by the way. Well, well, it sounds like this is a bit of a theme, and I did have a bit of a, a moan on the slack about this when I was struggling, and and Leon did. Uh, Leon came up and said, "Well, this is you know, it's a thing throughout the whole series." The, the the problem with the GBA version, and they do fix this to some extent with the 3DS remake, because with the 3DS remake, you can choose to restart, and you restart from the second phase. The problem with the GBA version is that, as, as you just said, Leah, you have to go back to the save point, which is th thankfully immediately before it. But by the time you've done this boss 12 or 13 times, the first stage is almost trivial, but it still lasts a good 10, 15 minutes because it has just a huge amount of health. So you end up being able to you know, do the first stage really easily. And then as the second phase goes on, the attacks get... Uh, the attack, the the attack get more powerful and they get faster, and and that attack with the arm spin, I just never ever worked out the timing. Luckily, in the run that I finally did it, 
the Cacletta didn't use that attack at all because that was, I mean, I probably was around 100 HP for both of the brothers, maybe a, a, a jot over 100 HP. If I was around 70 to 80, though, that attack would finish me off in one go. And it got to the point where I really thought I thought I might have to not be on my own show for the year. Thankfully, I we would have it. kicked you off like mercilessly. <laughs> it would have uh, it would have been violent. Uh, it, no, it, it's it's like I said, I I finished it uh, originally, so I I know that I can do it. Mm. Uh, but this time, I decided no, thank you. I'm just going to save at the midpoint so that I can. Uh, yeah. I can just do this and not have to do the the first. And there's it, it doesn't matter really how well you do in the first phase. You will always be dropped to one hit yeah, point, that's and it. you'll have to go through the the cutscene beforehand and in the middle. And yeah, it's just it's not it's not great. Did not it's, love that. It's such a brutal de- design decision in a game which feels like it wants to be finished and it wants to be experienced, and in some ways is quite friendly. It just is such a huge surprising crank up of the of the difficulty that yeah I'd love to know what what was in their Chocola when they were thinking about designing this final boss. Um, yeah, we we didn't really talk about um, gear in the game, um, but um, Chris, you just mentioned briefly the uh, the things that you can get from. Uh, EGAD, and you can also purchase uh, both badges, which um, those tend to take a bigger role in some of the later Mario and Luigi games. Um, but here they are pretty much just another piece of gear. You get um, clothing and a badge. Um, and um, you can have... I, I think that uh, the ones that I had in the end... Um, I had like one that gave me health back whenever I hit something with a hammer and I don't remember what my other one was, but it's for the most part, they seem like they are pretty um, nominal increases in things. But did you guys find any, um, any in particular, sounds like that one that made Mario very fast was probably like a a game changer, but Mm. uh, was there any other type of gear that you guys ran into that uh, was particularly good? Yeah, no. So for me, there was um, there was a badge that doubled your XP. So that was one that I used a lot. And then at one sounds quite nice. Yeah. yeah. So that <laughs> so that was good in terms of progression. But the one that I I found mo- other than the one that made Mario fast, which I can't remember whether it was a badge or well, there must have been something because he did act first, and that was a a, a game changer. The one that really made the difference to me at one point because money is a bit of a non. It's not really a huge economy to the game. You end up with so many coins with very little to actually uh, spend on. Um, but what what I did do is kind of at one point I just filled my inventory up with mushrooms. And then there's a badge which increases your damage output depending on how many mushrooms are in your inventory. So I, <laughs> with that equipped... <laughs> that is useful. Wow. It, well, when you've got 125 of every mushroom in your inventory, it really does increase your damage output. So that was, that was so. a favorite of mine. Yeah, it sounds like you made um, better use of those than I did, really, the, the badges, that is. Speaking of XP, how did we feel about, like, leveling up? Uh, you get a nice little, like, mini game when you, uh, when you level up to gain a few extra bonus mm. points. 
there's that mysterious like stash category <laughs> that the game doesn't I, I don't believe it ever fully explains what that is but you can look it up and there's actually some useful stuff attached to it but uh I, I'm just, oh. yeah, it's it's, it's kind of like luck isn't it like deals with yeah um, essentially like prices and critical rates mm-hmm. or something i i'm i'm kind of I'm not sure, but I, I I thought that was kind of what it did. Yeah, which, which stash refers to your mustache as well. It has a nice little funny mustache yes, category, yeah. and so it's of kind of <laughs> it's canonically funny that Mario and Luigi can use their experience to up level their mustaches. <laughs> but it's nice because, like, once you've been pouring a bunch of points into like one particular category, like your health, your strength, um. If you choose to invest bonus points, which you get a, like a, you get the opportunity to choose one category that gets bonus points, then it gives you a nice little like roulette wheel type of, or uh, like a slot machine wheel type of a uh, mini game activity uh, upon leveling up. Um, and then if if it's a if it's a category that is underpowered based on where you are in your your leveling up journey then you get a much higher percentage chance of getting a, a massive bonus of like five additional points to that category yeah. versus if it's something that you've been investing in heavily, you still, you'll still do, you still do get a bonus, but it will only be like one or two at most. I tended to spread mine out more, um, which is fine, and it probably resulted in me getting more overall points dumped into things, but it did feel like I just didn't really specialize in anything, so um, it, it I was probably a little bit under-leveled by the time I got to the final boss. I don't think that I would have been mu- in mu- a much better position if I had had more levels, but I, I will say that that may have con- contributed a little bit to my experience, personally. And there's not like a job system. It's not like you're really building out particular like builds of your characters so you know i think being kind of even across the board they're all useful stats and so it's probably the way to do it Uh, and why do you think you were under leveled later is that because you were trying to avoid were you avoiding battles in the dungeons and the overworld so not really um i i did not i didn't grind at all i did um Typically, if I am in that kind of situation in a JRPG, I will not avoid battles. Um, the only time that I did avoid battles was um, when I was backtrack. If I was like looking for something or looking for uh, the way to go, mm. um, I, then I might run from that, or not even run from battles, but just avoid the battles if it was in an area that I felt like I wasn't really going to get that much experience for doing the fight. Yeah. Um, but I think if I added all of those up, I probably would have gotten an extra couple of levels by the end. I don't think I was massively underleveled. I just think that I may have had an easier time if I had, you know, another five levels or so under my belt. Yeah. I can't remember whether the game does the thing that Paper Mario does and reduce your experience, you know, the more you... So you can't grind in an area? I don't think so, but it it starts taking so much more experience to level up yeah, that like if you're just fighting beginning game enemies you're just not going to get enough to really make it yeah, worth it yeah sure yeah all right anything else we wanted to touch on before i get into some of our uh our last bits of correspondence here 
some of the mini games did you guys enjoy did you enjoy some of the mini games that are dotted around that you we have to die at some point we have to dye some clothes to get a piece of the uh one of the MacGuffins that you end up having to to fetch and there's the one which has the uh gino cameo in isn't it which is part of the critical path in the arcade i thought was was quite fun i thought they did a decent job of implementing the mini games at a nice pace throughout the throughout the game yeah, I thought they were pretty decent. Um, I, I think I would have liked to see, and I can't remember whether the remake does this or not, but, like, there were some of those that I failed a lot of times before I actually got it. There's <laughs> yeah. not really much of a penalty for failing those games, but I think I would have liked, you know, if you fail it maybe five times or so, them to say, hey, uh, do you want to just um, pay money and skip this or what? Because you're not doing so hot. And I probably yeah. would have said yes a couple of times. There was the minecart one as well, where you have to shine the flashlight mm. uh, and guide the minecart. I, I have very fuzzy memories of a lot of these. But uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, there was some interesting little diversions in there. It's always nice to have something, I think, like... It's a nice variety. Yeah, yeah. All right. Um, so I'm going to go into a few more pieces of correspondence to uh, kind of start wrapping us up. This is Gerard from the forum who says, when I first played this game in the 2000s on a sketchy GBA emulator, it was an unallied joy. The animation was so lush and expressive. The mechanics were so novel and engaging and writing was genuinely funny. The humor had some of the madcap energy of the Mario manga that used to run in Nintendo Power in the US back in the day. As someone who has played Mario since I was a kid, but has been left cold by the 3D entries, this gorgeous presentation, especially for a kid in art school playing it on a big, bright computer monitor, was just what I needed from a Mario game. As someone who has burnt themselves out on the glut of awesome JRPGs in the SNES and PSX eras, the novel real-time control of two characters using one set of face buttons gave the turn-based battles a shot in the arm which felt very refreshing. The inclusion of the Koopalings was also a fun nod to my own nostalgia for the property's 2D heyday, and certainly didn't hurt. Toon Skatoon from the forum says, Having finished the remake of Mario & Luigi Superstar Saga on 3DS this winter, I was more than pleased with the experience. I'd always been a paper man when it came to my plumber-led RPGs, but the diet Zelda traversal puzzles, the top-notch Mario music, and the simple-to-understand combat system made the game fun and fairly friction-free. This is not to say there weren't parts of the game I found clunky or repetitive, but the designer's prescription for these sticky moments seemed to be the return or introduction of a playfully animated character with a quirk whose jittering, jiggling, and jabbering left me eager for whatever came next. Disappointed by the promise of yet another Princess Peach rescue mission, Prince Peasley soared into my life on his winged lima bean, did his glittering hair flip gag, which made me snicker every single time, and I was ready to hitch up my overalls and play fetch again. Bogged down by a finicky scavenger hunt for bean fruits to feed the Yoshis, a dinosaur devotee with a penchant for pirouetting an excellent wardrobe named Bottle danced into my life and kept me questing for more bean star pieces. Irritated after continuously running into the same flying Koopa while trying to solve a beachside puzzle Hermie, oh wait, same flying Koopa while trying to solve a beachside puzzle Hermie, an overgrown hermit crab who decorates his shell like a Christmas tree to impress beach babes, speaks with a lisp and deserves his own WarioWare microgame, sprang up on the sand and started the kind of trouble I just couldn't walk away from. Time after time, this dream team of misfits propelled through the game and now has me seriously considering playing other entries in this series. 
Um, side note, uh, we mentioned the Yoshis before, um, just <laughs> which I, I, the bean part. Yeah, whatever. You know, you have to search for the beans. But then mm. when the Yoshi just kind of turns around and poops out an egg every time. <laughs> I don't know. That was funny to me. <laughs> I'm a child, I guess. The game's full of just little moments like that, though, isn't it? Which yeah. just make you smile. It, it's got so much charm. Yeah, for sure. Joe Bobonobo from the forum says, I played this far later than the wonderful sequels that appeared on the DS, but found it a delightful time, even when when restricted to one screen. Of the two Mario RPG series, it definitely leans fully into the active battle system, with coordinating attacks between the two brothers, making for a more compelling affair than your typical turn-based battle system. The brothers themselves are packed full of character, with Charles Martinet really going to town with the voice work. Story moves along with a zippy pace, with Mario and Luigi being launched from one madcap situation to the other. This title also showcases that Mario is best when he is not tethered to the Mushroom Kingdom, with the new Bean Bean Kingdom being a whimsical land of memorable characters and strange locales. As a whole, Superstar Saga hits the vibe of the whole series right out the bat, with a mixture of platforming, puzzle solving, and battling, making it a must-buy for anyone with a GBA or 3DS. And finally, Kez86 from the forum says... Mario & Luigi Superstar Saga was my first experience of an RPG Mario title. It was also one of the first games I had on my GBA back in 2003. I've also recently replayed this for the first time this year. 20 years later, this is my story. 20 years ago, it's Christmas morning. I was 12 years old and I opened up a small present and inside was a bright and vibrant box full of character and charm. Mario & Luigi Superstar Saga. On beginning the game, I had no idea of the concept of a Mario RPG game. I'd never heard of the likes of Paper Mario or Super Mario RPG, so this was a new concept. I was, however, a fan of the RPG genre, having rinsed every Final Fantasy released. So finding that combat was turn-based and set in an open world was a really exciting concept. Not only this, but the implementation of puzzles around the world, using Mario and Luigi's specific powers and movesets, really injected the world with some Zelda-esque navigation. The humor really tickled me, with sprites emoting in such a bold way, and being able to really sell the humor and comical narrative for all characters involved. I remember absorbing the world, talking to all the NPCs, exploring every nook and cranny, and finding as much as possible within this incredibly vibrant world. I then remember playing it all over again. Present day. I'll say it now. I love this game, and that feeling has not changed. Maybe because I hadn't played it in 20 years, and because of my situation and only being able to occasionally dedicate time to playing games, being a dad, Mario & Luigi Superstar Saga is exactly the type of game I want and need in my life at this moment in time, and works perfectly for my Switch. It is a game I could dip in and out of, something that doesn't take too much effort, has minimal narrative, familiar characters, and probably more important for me, a story that I am already familiar with. It is still charming to me. I can appreciate that this may not hold up against the likes of Paper Mario or Super Mario RPG to those who were there at the time, but to me, Mario & Luigi Superstar Saga is the perfect Mario RPG game, and it does so much so well. Thank you very much to everybody for your contributions. Uh, really just some lovely memories attached to these. Uh, we also have some three-word reviews. You can follow us on Twitter and threads at Kane and Rince. And uh, on the day of recording, we will typically put out a call for these lovely mini reviews. So follow us on Twitter and uh, Chris, start us off. Jobo Bonobo says, Magical Fruit Adventure. Toonskatoon says, Fraternal Charm Offensive. Kez86 says, Sumptuous Superstar Shenanigans. Alex79 says, Worthy Mario RPG. 
Wuking Long says definitive Mario RPG. Raisin Bee Man says coffee, syrup, soda. Blue Weasel Breath says just so charming. Bearfish Pie, giving it beans. Robin Enrico says perfectly timed hits. And Awesome Wells says star stash smash. All right. Well, that is Mario RPG. No, it's not. That is Mario <laughs> and Luigi Superstar Saga. It's very similar to Mario RPG, but it's not It's a the Freudian same slip. It maybe it is the Mario RPG after all. <laughs> maybe it it is it is definitely a Mario RPG. Uh but is it the Mario RPG? Uh well, we'll see. I think I'll go first. I think we all have a a relatively similar um uh overall um opinion of the game. I really enjoyed this. I don't know that it's my favorite Mario... Well, maybe it is. Maybe it is my favorite Mario & Luigi game. Um, I did not play Mario RPG when it first... Super Mario RPG when it very first came out. So perhaps... Uh, I don't know. Perhaps if I had, it might be uh, something that held a, a, a more... Um, distinct place in my in my memory and in my kind of nostalgia but I didn't so um this one is probably the one that I have the most nostalgia for for sure um it it is it's just charming it really is i i i like the story the way that it is written is just something that i enjoy coming back to and even the kind of minor quirks that I am not super crazy about, um, like the final boss and maybe like some of the mini games that I wasn't so great with. Uh, I, I think those are just quirks that I'm willing to deal with because I, I enjoy the experience of playing the game quite a lot. Uh, I, I think that it is definitely still worth playing for the first time if you have uh, access to the Switch Online, I, I I haven't played that version, but I'm assuming that it does. Um, you know, it's it's just a pretty straight up port. Uh, everything that I've played yeah. on the Switch Online stuff has been uh, totally fine and faithful so far. So uh, I, I assume that this is the same. Um, but also, you know, there are ways and means if you wanted to play it somewhere else, as Ryan and I have definitely uh, mentioned before. So, you know, there's there's that option available to you as well. Or you can just, you know, if you have the hardware, go for it. I don't know what a used copy will run you these days, but um, the option is there should you want to pursue it. Uh, so, yeah, I really enjoy this game. Uh, do recommend it. And I uh, had a great time kind of revisiting after this many years. So I hope that everyone else does the same if they choose to uh, indulge. Uh, Ryan. I really like this game a lot. Uh, this is a very charming, uh, very well-written, consistently funny, uh, little game. It's, um, I don't know if I would call it a great RPG because there's not a lot of role-playing <laughs> to be done in here. Uh, there's not a lot of like interesting decisions to make with the role-playing systems anyways, uh, I think it would have functioned just as well if it was like a point and click adventure, like something that, that center stage the story, uh, because that's really where the, <clears throat> where most of the, the juice was in this one for me. 
I, I like the Bean Bean Kingdom, the fact that it is so different than the typical Mario fair. Um, just the fact that like every step along the way, they were making kind of the most creative and the most unexpected decision, both from like a gameplay and from a story and aesthetic perspective. Um, there's so many funny, unexpected turns, which for Mario games, as much as I, you know, love Mario and, and the whole series, there was, there was a long period of time uh, that, you know, we've had a few kind of breaths of fresh air every once in a while, but there was a long period of time where like the creativity that uh, was involved in the kind of aesthetics and theming was perhaps a little bit artificially restricted by Nintendo when it came to what they would allow other companies that got their hands on the Mario property to, to do and to explore and to, to add to the world and, and change within the Mario world. And so playing this and thousand year door back to back was really refreshing seeing different storytellers, being able to tell different types of stories involving mario and luigi um you know it's it, it it's so funny again <laughs> to to kind of understand now that a core piece of mario's character is that he genuinely doesn't care and doesn't feel any embarrassment <laughs> if somebody walks in on him in the shower you know the the little the little <laughs> toad at the beginning of the game ran out red-faced he's shrieking and Mario just kind of walks out, doesn't even bother to put his clothes on, just wraps a towel around him, walks out. There's no sign of of embarrassment on his face. He's he's feeling good about what just happened in there. And <laughs> just those little touches are so funny. And uh just the little bits of like characterization. Um it, it's it's nice to hear the repetitive and, and heavily compressed Charles Martin eclipse, God rest his job. Um but it, 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 it just, there's just there's so much like little Mario charm in here that uh, um, and, and so much just original uh, disconnected spirit uh, that um, it, it really gets the best out of both worlds. It really gets the the best out of Mario and his sometimes unpredictable uh, random world of 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 weird shenanigans um it's 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 a lot of fun it's um i i've gone on to play further into the series and um i think this one is the one that's kind of captured my heart the most uh i i would recommend giving this a play and i'd recommend playing it uh, playing the gba version however you choose to do that uh, unless you prefer it to be just a little bit uglier in which case uh there is an option available to you as well that's that's a totally fine choice you do you but uh, for me, I prefer it if it's just a little bit prettier. Um, but that's maybe that's just me. <laughs> All right. Thank you, Ryan. Chris. There's just so much to love about this game. I am with Kez86. I really do. I, I love this game. It, it's not the best RPG in the world, as Ryan has just said. It's it's it, It's light on mechanics, and I think it's light on content. But clocking in, depending on, and when I say I love it, let's just like forget about the final boss because no, nobody is going to love that, not even its mother. Um, so let's just kind of cut the game off at the end of that final dungeon. I, I really love it. I mean, it's it's mechanically, it's like content, it's light, it's 
probably somewhere between 17 and 25 hours, depending on how much you engage with the with the battles in the overworld and some of the extra and how much, how long you find around, how long you take around Bean Bean Town looking for those uh, little things, the the beanlings or whatever they were called. Uh, so, so there isn't, a, there isn't. It's not going to keep you busy for weeks on end. But to my mind, that that's a that's a good thing. You know, we 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 don't. Not every game can be the eighty to hundred hour epics. There's so much charm. There's so much character. There's so much humor in the writing. And mechanically, what is there is just really good fun. I do have some doubts about how how much life you would get from a repeated playthrough and how much enjoyment the battle system would still give you. But certainly over my 25 hours, I I really enjoyed engaging with this game at every single level I did. It it It, it never failed to make me smile whenever I boosted it up. And it's so well suited to the handheld format. One thing we didn't mention is just how how tightly spaced the save points are. I mean, you could easily just fire this up and have ten or fifteen minutes, and then you would be at another save point and you could switch it off. I mean, by and large, that is is the way it goes. There are aspects I didn't like. I I did I I maintain that I think whilst I applaud their intentions with the interface, it can get a bit cumbersome and a little bit busy particularly when you have all of your uh, power-ups available to you. There are sections of the game where I think it does falter. There's a middle section when you're looking for the first of those, um, the, uh, the, 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 the second set of MacGuffins that you have to find, the first of those. It takes a long time, several underwater sections, which are never going to be my favourite. I don't like the mechanic of having to continuously tap to stay afloat. Those sections uh, dragged the the section in Tiki Canyon where you're or Tiki Valley where you're having to escort Princess Peach and keep her in sight. That was tedious. There are missteps, and I think the pacing in the middle does start to flag a little bit. But power on through because there is there's a, this is a wonderful video game. It's twenty years old. This game, I don't think it's aged a day. I think it is so fresh now, and I I wonder whether we will get. Another game like this, you know, we're left with the Paper Mario series, which is still going strong. But I would venture to say that Origami King doesn't have anywhere near as much cheeky, irreverent character as this game does. Alpha Dream, sadly, no longer of this world. I don't know where the team has gone, um, but I, I think that there is a there is a place, I think, for this almost like slightly dark slightly cheeky side of the mario universe to come out again in the meantime i'm going to go off and play the rest of the paper mario series and thankfully i've got three more mario and Le- luigi rpgs to play so i've loved it thank you Caden rinse for including this in in this in this volume uh, hopefully we'll get to talk about the other games in future well uh thank you very much and uh i hope so too because i think that'll be uh, a fun discussion when when slash if we get to it uh, so it just remains for me, Leah, to thank Chris and Ryan, our editor Jay, and of course, all of you for listening, contributing, and, uh, you know, hanging out with us. Next time, in issue 591, gotta go fast, in the F-Zero series. <laughs> <laughs>